2: Brady, play action, looking, third option, inside, caught, Gronkowski again with the touchdown.
1: Tom Brady, uh, he did it again, seven Super Bowls in ten appearances, uh, I think it's pretty safe to say. If it wasn't already, he's the greatest team sport uh, athlete of all time in terms of his accomplishments, um, we could debate that at another time. Uh, I feel like the last couple of Super Bowls, when he's won those, we've said the same thing, Chris. Um, but he uh, he was great. Um, but bottom line is, defensively, Tampa Bay was awesome. We're going to get to our complete recap of the game. But you had something to start the show off that had nothing to do with the Super Bowl. What was it?
2: It's been fairly warm here a really mild winter until this week. Kevin, if you look up Ralston, Wyoming, which is where I live, in between Pal and Cody, it's going to be brisk today with a high of four. But Thursday, Friday, I'm not sure how to deal with. Thursday's high is negative nine with a low of negative <laughs> 16.
1: I see that right now. <laughs> yeah. It says negative nine, negative 17 on my, um, iPhone weather app, then negative six, negative 20, then negative negative 20 on Friday. Then it warms up to a high of negative two. And then boy, a week from Wednesday, you're all the way up to 24. That's awesome. We're back
2: into the mild winter that we've had. Have you been in a negative 25 situation?
1: No, but, um, you know, it's interesting. The, uh, you know how I I follow all the winter weather stuff. And yeah, I, I even- we had we had snow yesterday. The forecast really busted a little bit. I don't know. These weather people, and I love Doug, and I love Sue, and I love the people at the Capitol Weather Gang. It's a really hard area to forecast in. It always is. And we had heavy snow throughout the morning, but it was 36 degrees. So it stuck to the grass, not really the streets, and then it was melted and all gone. So that's the mm-hmm. second straight. We had Cooley last week four consecutive days where it snowed it was crazy so this week upcoming if you plug in Bethesda Maryland right now and into your into your weather app and look at what look at what we have going I've never seen so many days with snow in the forecast over the next week and a half
2: I, I mean, I still have Leesburg, Virginia in my weather app. I check the weather there all the time.
1: Six of the next seven days have snow in the forecast. Now, I'll tell you, these weather apps on the iPhone weather app, they're never right. I, what what The weather people and those of us that follow it, we are definitely looking at a super cold, super stormy period for probably the next week and a half to two weeks. And some of these snowflakes that you see even in Ashburn, could be potentially, like, there's a chance of a major ice storm here, which, by the way, sucks. It's the worst. For everybody. Nobody wants that. Give me the snow every single time over a stupid ice storm. Um, but one of the models that I, uh, that I pay attention to um, actually was showing that on early Monday morning, a week from today, the high temperature in like the uh, north, northern and western suburbs of DC, um, the low temperature, excuse me, on that Monday morning was going to be around zero, and there could potentially even be some below zero numbers. And we haven't had, I think we haven't had a below zero temperature at Reagan in like twenty years. Now Dulles has had some below zero numbers. Over the years, but in town and in super close, there've been some single digits, you know, many times, but it's going to be, um, apparently a very interesting and for some people rough week and a half to two weeks of February, um, lots of storms, lots of cold. It's actually nice today. It's cold tomorrow. So supposed to be lovely. And then it's all downhill from there, but we don't get the same temperatures that you get out there. I mean, that's ridiculous.
2: Our temperatures have been really comparable until this point. But it snowed Friday and Saturday. There's not other than the main highway, there's not a road that isn't covered in snow. You drive on roads covered in snow. Yeah, because they don't put salt on the roads here. So Right. They plow And the other the other great thing about this, they don't cancel school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a normal day we we actually had this was funny my wife put together this whole children's tea party yesterday little girl's tea party on super bowl sunday and she said (laughs) around 10 o'clock she didn't know around 10 o'clock she said do you think they'll come at that point it was negative three snowing i said yep they'll all come and they did <laughs> they did the weather phases nobody here yeah but dude i went outside and shoveled snow yesterday and i don't have that much snow to shovel how much how much worth. snow did you get oh it, it, the, a few inches but it the wind blows so it drifts it a little bit. right i was outside for five minutes and i didn't put a stocking cap on oh. my ears were gonna fall off yeah It negative and it wasn't windy. It but the time I did it, it was completely calm. It looks beautiful outside, even right now. But you go out without gloves and a hat for five minutes, you're it takes just a second to set in, but then you're cold. It's cold, man. I, I just, I'm, I'm, this is real weird, but I'm so excited to walk outside at negative 22. I'm gonna go out there, even if it's four in the morning, I'm setting my alarm clock, I'm going out.
1: You got to do the thing where you throw the water up in the air and see if it falls as ice crystals
2: I, I will I'll go out sit in the hot tub at five o'clock and throw it up and see what happens
1: <laughs> um as long anyway. as we, as long as we're talking about weather so yesterday I got up you know i I just I get up period i get up at 415 430 every morning doesn't matter if it's the weekend that's what time i wake up that's my body clock now and you know on the weekends i will try to go back to sleep and um, you know, it, at least get out of bed at like five thirty, which you know, you know, it, it, six is like really sleeping in for me these days, which is pretty pathetic. God, when I was younger, I used to love to sleep. Um, anyway, uh, I got up early yesterday and couldn't go back to sleep, and I looked outside and it was raining. Now the it, we had a winter storm warning; they were calling for three to six inches of snow, and it was pouring, and so you know, I got some coffee and I, you know, I did, I, I missed a couple of the, 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 the late games on Saturday night college hoops games. And I, I did not watch any of the super bowl Saturday night stuff. I did not watch any of it. I did. So I watched the Alex Smith acceptance speech, um, you know, at five in the morning or whatever yesterday morning. But anyway, I just decided I looked outside and you could see it was starting to change to snow. So I I the dog doesn't get up that early, so I went for an hour and a half walk. I went, I you know, got bundled up, got my headphones, was listening to music, and went on a literally um, a ninety minute walk from like five, you know, five fifteen. Got back at six forty five, and it literally, coolly, while I was out, turned to some of the heaviest snow. That I've ever seen. Those of you that that live here, you know that yesterday morning, some of the flakes that were falling that were the, like the size of like mini pancakes, because it was a very heavy wet snow. It was above freezing at the surface, but for those of you that know a little bit about weather, the eight fifty numbers, the below zero numbers, uh, up above produced. You know, snow, it just fell on onto a surface that was above freezing. But usually it's that, that above freezing or right around 32, 33 degree snow that can produce really large flakes. Some of the biggest flakes, Cooley, I swear to God, everything whitened up in a matter of 10 minutes because it was snowing so hard. And it was just the nicest, most peaceful walk i've been on in so long the best part about it no wind it wasn't that cold it was like i think on my phone it looked like it was 34 degrees so it was above freezing wasn't cold and i just walked for 90 minutes listened to a couple of podcasts listened to some music and it was just very peaceful and i just enjoyed myself um by myself when I was up that early and actually didn't have to go to work, which was nice. Then I came home, had breakfast, and I actually got a quick nap in when I got home, which, God, is there anything better than like the 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. nap on a Saturday or Sunday morning after you've been up? I don't
2: even understand what that is.
1: Well, if you've been up for several hours, (laughs) then all of a sudden you're exhausted, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to lie down, and I fell asleep for like an hour. It was great. I went skiing on
2: Saturday. You went really? I took, well, I, I took the kids skiing. Okay. So I skied backwards the entire day with my three-year-old.
1: And how did he do?
2: He can ski down the bunny hill by himself. Three years old.
1: What about one. your What about your daughter? Is she a good?
2: She, she was great. She had a, They have ski school things set up, so she did all the lessons. The pizza and the yeah, pizza french stop. Fry and all the things. I'm just gonna tell you right now. They're both pretty athletic kids. Yeah, I'm a better coach than the ski instructor because my three year old was skiing better than my six year old.
1: (laughs) Um, how are your knees on skis?
2: Awful. Yeah, it's so
1: bad. It's so it's so. This was
2: embarrassing. We got there. The they have this thing called the magic carpet. It's a moving walkway that goes up the hill to the bunny hill. So I'm trying to get my kid on. It's his first time on skis ever, all time. And he kind of stumbles getting on, and I leaned to grab him. My boots come out of my ski bindings. I flop down in front of everybody oh, on the magic carpet. I'm like, "It's we're okay. We'll get back in line. We'll just we'll get back in line. And we'll try this again." Oh, my God. I can't even walk today. But yeah. I I haven't skied in 15 years.
1: But you were a skier.
2: I was a, yeah, I was a skier. yeah. But I had to ski back. I skied backwards the whole day. I. I skied forward for a total of like 30 seconds.
1: Were you a snowboarder?
2: I did it for two years. I didn't like it. Uh-huh. Anyways, I had one more. What do you got?
1: I loved I loved skiing, but I didn't grow up skiing. So I didn't start skiing until I was older. Mm. We were very much sort of a warm weather vacation family. If we went on vacation, it was always warm weather, even if it was the winter My father had zero interest in skiing. My mother had zero interest in skiing. But so I probably went skiing for the first time when I was in you know junior high, middle school. Um, But I do love the whole skiing environment. Like Kara and I, and I actually with friends, um, we we went out west. Like eight or nine years in a row, I I, I did uh, a Colorado Aspen trip with a bunch of friends for four years in a row. Then when we got married, we we did Aspen and Vale. We did Jackson Hole one year um, for like five or six years in a row. I like the whole scene of out west skiing. I don't love the skiing; it's fine. I mean, you know, I'm not a great skier, but I can get down, you know, almost any mountain except for I don't really, you know, travel in the double black diamond circles. Um, But I like the atmosphere, especially the Opry Ski. I enjoy the cocktails, the fire, the hanging around with friends. Sure. You know, that's fun, you know, in, in a climate where it's snowing and it's beautiful. I like that. Um but anyway, you said you had skiing's something Skiing's
2: great and skiing's a great thing for families because you you talk to your kids the whole day.
1: It's true, but you it's also a shitload of work.
2: Putting the, Oh kids. dude, it's, I was exhausted. I know. I that's what I into too. And then I have a 3-year-old. It's like, okay, you, he's got a pee, so you got to go in, I got to take his gloves <laughs> right. off, his coat off, his stuff off. He's flopping around. He and then I got to put him back on and all those things and you're like, "Oh my god." Um, well, how about how about it, just the when equipment they when
1: they're young and getting, you no, know, getting exactly. the boots on, getting the skis on, getting poles, and everybody needs help. It is just a lot of work. And but the thing
2: is, is he'll figure it out by next year.
1: Yeah, I understand. I'm you're hoping
2: like my daughter i had to help her the whole time but she'll two times and she'll get her stuff on
1: look even without kids it's a lot of work when you're just doing it yourself i mean just walking up with you know carrying the skis and walking in those boots it's just let me just say this a golf trip in 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 warm weather climates a lot easier
2: so much easier
1: so much easier
2: Not a whole car full of coats and hats. Oh,
1: everybody's wet and people, there's snot coming out of everybody's nose and (laughs) people are hungry and thirsty and it's like, oh Jesus. The one thing about a good day skiing is it wears everybody out. And when the kids are younger, they get home and they are done. Done. Yeah. Done. Anyway. So um, we're going to
2: get to the game. This is involving the game. Okay. Okay which was slow, but do you watch the streaker? Yeah. Or the the rogue fan? Yeah. One, two pretty good moves to avoid yeah, initial tackles.
1: Yeah, the Yeah, made a good cutback. We'll play and Kevin really Harlan's nice, call here in, in shortly.
2: In a really nice spin move. But if it's Super Bowl Sunday, there's no fucking chance I'm sliding down on the one.
1: <laughs> yeah, he went down at the <laughs> one-yard line sliding.
2: And the security guard that comes in and, and tackles him that's pure helmet to helmet contact that's a personal foul right there. Don't tie him how to tackle but I'm just telling you this i'm I'm going to jail I'm scoring there's no chance I'm not going to score. what a dope
1: Here was Kevin Harlan's call of the uh, the guy that ran out onto the field. Here it is
0: is. Second down 20 503 to go someone has run on the field some guy with a brawl. And now he's not being chased, he's running down the middle of the 40. Arms in the air and a victory salute. He's pulling down his pants, put up your pants, my man! Pull up those pants! He's being chased to the 30, he breaks a tackle from a security guard, at the 20, down the middle, of the 10, the five, he slides at the one, and they converge on him at the goal line. Pull up your pants, take off the bra and be a man! And the players with hands on hips at the other end of the field are looking at him and shaking their head and saying, why, oh, why is this taking place in a Super Bowl?
1: Kevin Harlan, that was the Westwood one call. I think that was Ross Tucker, too, I think, on the call. I could be wrong about that. Ross does a really good job on the calls for Westwood one, and it sounded like him. But Harlan, a few years back, had the call of that black cat who ran onto the field during... I think it was a Giants game at the Meadowlands, and um, he, was, he was calling the play-by-play of that. What's really interesting about what happened last night, Cooley, is CBS showed that guy for longer than they typically do. You know, they, they really, the networks over the years, whenever something like that happens, they don't want to show any of it because they think it'll just encourage future, you know, uh, attempts at that. Um, and then they finally got away from it, um, but we saw on television at least five, six seconds of it before they cut away.
2: They shouldn't have cut away. There was nothing. The game was terrible at that point. <laughs> probably, just stay with it for a second. This is the only thing keeping anyone's interest right now. Yeah. just hold. Yeah. We got to pull away guys. Now there, we, uh, there we, people are going to come after us if we don't pull, pull it away, pull it away. Gosh, I wish we could have stayed with that.
1: Yeah. Um, I had, um, a couple of things real quickly, and then we'll get to our recap of the game, which uh, we pretty much nailed um, on Friday. We don't always nail it, um, but we pretty much both had it right. Um, and I will mention my my smell test results, which were pretty pretty good uh, from over the weekend. I'm also going to tell you about a couple of prop bets I had. Um, One that was very uh, interesting, never even knew that this one existed. But um, I've got two um, things for you. Number one, the odds for next year's Super Bowl 2021 or the 2022 Super Bowl in February of 2022 came out. And they're interesting because of where Washington is on this list. First of all, the Chiefs are the favorites at 5.5 to 1. This is the Caesars uh, sports book by William Hill Odds. It came out right after the game. Chiefs are the favorites. The Packers are at 9 to 1. Uh, the Bucks are at 11 to 1. The Ravens, Bills, 12 to 1. The Rams are 13 to 1. The 49ers are 14 to 1. And then you have the Saints and Seahawks, 16 and eighteen to uh, to one, respectively. Those are the top nine teams um, in that group. By the way, if you were counting along, um, six of those teams are NFC teams. So so far, there are six NFC teams predicted to finish ahead of Washington, but there are many more. Okay, because the Cowboys are thirty to one, the Cardinals are forty to one, the Vikings are forty to one, the Bears are fifty to one, the Eagles are fifty to one. And then you get to the group of teams that are at 60-1. to And among that group are the Panthers, the Falcons, the Broncos, and your Washington football team. Only Jacksonville, the Giants, Bengals, Lions, Jets, and Texans have worse odds to win the Super Bowl in 2021. And only the Giants and the Lions have worse odds NFC-wise to win the NFC Championship and even get to the Super Bowl. So I know that a lot of you were really rooting for Tampa Bay to somehow come up in your own mind with how close Washington is. You know, hey, Tampa, we, we play Tampa tougher than anybody. You know, look at how close we are to winning a Super Bowl. And look, I'm not trying to kill the spirit and the optimism because I'm optimistic. I think that they were massively improved, and there's a lot to to be encouraged about in terms of Rivera and the staff and the young defense, especially up front, and players like Gibson and McLaurin. But what it says to you is two things. One, there's not an answer quarterback right now that will inspire anybody out in the desert to make Washington anywhere near the favorite to do anything next year. And number two, um I've mentioned this before as much as I am not a big schedule guy the uniqueness of Washington's schedule next year in which they play you know maybe the toughest slate of starting quarterbacks any team has ever had to face on paper now they may, these guys might get all get hurt and not be available when Washington plays them but in the AFC if there's a 17 game schedule they're going to face Josh Allen they're definitely going to face Patrick Mahomes, and Justin Herbert. That's in the AFC. In the NFC, they're going to face Aaron Rodgers. They're going to face Tom Brady. They're going to face Matt Ryan. Probably not Breeze because he'll be retired. They're going to face Russell Wilson. The only elite quarterback in the game that you have, that anybody has in like the top six or seven of quarterbacks that they won't have to face next year as of now is Deshaun Watson. Every other elite quarterback is on their schedule. So when you don't have one and you're going to play six or seven teams, I'm not even mentioning Prescott twice if they face Prescott, Um, and I wouldn't call him an elite quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. But my point is I know that many of you are optimistic, and I'm more optimistic than I've been in a long time, but just so you have a sense of the reality of what the handicappers think They think Washington is the third worst team in the entire NFC heading into next year. That only the Giants and Lions are worse on paper. In fact, what's surprising to me, not that they're that low. I I didn't think they'd be super high. What's surprising to me is that the Eagles, like if this were broken down by division odds, which I haven't seen anybody post the division odds, the Cowboys would be the favorite. The Eagles would be the second favorite. And their quarterback situation is hardly solidified. And then Washington would be the third favorite, followed by the Giants. None of this means anything. I mean, Washington was the dead last pick, I think, this year to do anything, and they won the division at 7-9. and nine. But um, I uh, – I'm I'm surprised that the Eagles like if I were making division odds right now if I were the handicapper out in Vegas I would make Dallas the favorite a slight favorite assuming that Prescott resigns and that's not a definite apparently they're very far apart according to the latest reports um, but but assuming Prescott the Cowboys are probably going to be the favorite and then I'd have Washington even if it's Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke I'd probably have Washington as the second. You know, pick to finish second, followed by the Giants, and then the Eagles. I think the Eagles seem to be in complete disarray. we can talk about Carson Wentz here and Sam Darnold and some of the stories that came out over the weekend, and we will get to that um, a little bit later on in the show. So that was my first, you know, sort of what do you got? The second one was, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but Drew Pearson was elected to the Hall of Fame. Um, Drew Pearson, the longtime Cowboy receiver in the 70s into the early 80s, the first number 88 of the Cowboy 88s. You know, Then it was Michael Irvin, then it was Dez Bryant. Drew Pearson was a class act and a really, really good wide receiver. Personally, I don't think he's a Hall of Fame wide receiver um his career was 11 years he played in 156 games he had 489 receptions for 7822 yards and had 48 touchdowns he's most known for two plays the Hail Mary which is what the you know the actual Hail Mary throw was tight, was, was in originally, the, the original Hail Mary was Roger Staubach to Drew Pearson in the 1975 playoffs in Minneapolis, Bloomington, Minnesota against the Vikings, where Drew Pearson pushed off, Nate Wright caught it, no call, Cowboys won 17-14. And then the other uh, legendary catch he had was on Thanksgiving Day in the Clint Longley game against Washington, where he beat Ken Stone with 50 seconds to go on a 50-yard bomb to beat the Redskins. 24 23. The reason I bring this up is let me just put Gary Clark side by side with Drew Pearson. Okay. Drew Pearson, 489 career receptions, 7,822 yards, 48 touchdowns, 16 yards per reception. Gary Clark had. In the NFL, not even counting his USFL, where he was very productive in his eleven years, same amount of time, six hundred and ninety-nine catches in his career, for ten thousand eight hundred and fifty-six yards in his career, sixty-five touchdowns, fifteen and a half yards per catch, and by the way, was a part, um, was a part of two. Super Bowl winning teams. Drew Pearson was a part of Super Bowl teams as well in Dallas. I'm sorry, but if Drew Pearson is in the Hall of Fame, Gary Clark should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'll also say that if Drew Pearson is in the Hall of Fame, Brian Mitchell should be in the Hall of Fame. Now, it's not a receiver to receiver comparable, but Brian Mitchell is still second all-time in all-purpose yardage behind Jerry Rice. So if Drew Pearson is is in the Hall of Fame, and I don't believe Drew Pearson's All of Famer. I think he was a great player, but if Drew Pearson's in there, Gary Clark should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. His numbers dwarf Drew Pearson's. So anyway, those are the two things
2: I have. I just, I'm totally with you. Whoever lobbies for Dallas must be awesome, or it's just the Dallas thing. I mean, I mean aside from being... A big part of a Super Bowl and in Super Bowls his receptions yardage touchdowns is not even that dissimilar from what I had and (laughs) trust me when I say this I am not going in the Hall of Fame ever don't deserve to be there but this isn't that dissimilar from my career
1: yeah Drew Pearson was a part of 22 playoff games, you know, the Cowboys of the 70s and the Staubach, Pearson, Tony Hill, Golden Richards, Tony Dorsett Cowboys. I mean, these are the teams that I know probably as much as any Cowboy fan knows because the rivalry was so huge um, between the two teams and there were so many legendary games. Um, but he he had 68 receptions in 22 postseason games. Gary Clark had had 58 receptions in 14 games. So, uh, you know, he ha- Gary Clark had six touchdowns in 14 postseason games. Drew Pearson had eight touchdowns in 22 postseason games. I mean, his postseason career is big time. It, it, it is, but so is Gary Clark's. Gary Clark had 58 uh, you know p- uh, career playoff receptions in 14 postseason games for 826 yards and 6 touchdowns. Uh Pearson had played in eight more playoff games and had um 68 receptions so just 14 more and roughly 300 more yards and only two more touchdowns. Uh you know Pearson had um also a uh, a big time um, game winner against I think it was the Falcons in the 81 playoffs um, from Danny White um, he, you know he was definitely the Cowboys were such a marquee team Cooley and Drew Pearson was part of that you know allure and attraction he was smooth he was class act he was a really good player he, he was a really good player he also had a first ballot hall of fame quarterback and was part of some of the great teams in in that era of the uh, the cowboy the '70s Cowboys. Gary Clark was part of some of the great teams too. Did not play with a Hall of Fame quarterback. Did not. Um, I just you know it's funny because over the years I've never really considered Drew Pearson to be a Hall of Famer. And the truth is I've never really thought of Gary Clark as anything other than a guy that should have been like on a semifinalist list. You know, if he didn't get in, I understood it, even though some of his numbers are better than guys that are in, but now that Drew Pearson is in, I'm sorry, somebody's got to bring up Gary Clark. Gary Clark had a phenomenal career. Yeah. And by the way, came up big in a lot of big games for them. Big games for. Like let me look at just the Super Bowl numbers. So he had uh, in the Super Bowl win over Denver, 3 catches, 55 yards and a touchdown. The Super Bowl went over Buff, Buffalo, seven catches, one hundred and fourteen yards and a touchdown, and he he was he was big time in the I postseason.
2: Mean, what is it? What is the deal with these guys? It's almost like the the entire mo of the Hogs overshadows someone like Jacoby getting in, and maybe the Art Monk had more reception yards than Gary, so it overshadows Gary in his own team. You can only take one of them, so let's put Russ Grimm and Art Monk in, and the rest of them. Yeah, you were a good team. Yeah. It's not fair. It's really not fair.
1: I mean, it took Art Monk way too long to be in the Hall of Fame. And, again, it's like if Drew Pearson didn't get in over the weekend, I wouldn't be here railing a, a, about Clark. I've done it before, and I've compared his numbers to, like, Lofton's and some other, you know, Hall of Famers. And Gary Clark has deserved more consideration. Now, the one thing about Clark that you have to understand is Gary Clark came from the USFL. And for whatever reason, you know, that, that may have been a bit of a mark uh, against Gary Clark. Um, and he had, by the way, in Houston, uh, a very productive uh, career as, uh, as a USFL receiver. I'm pulling up his numbers right now because I, I don't have them, obviously, in front of me. Um, by the way, he was a two, two-time Super Bowl champion, a four-time Pro Bowler. Okay, so let's remember Gary Clark was a four-time Pro Bowler. How many times? Four was...
2: times, just so you know. What is essentially the cutoff for you're going to be considered. You make four Pro Bowls, you should be considered.
1: Uh, Drew Pearson's got three All-Pros, three Pro Bowls. Gary Clark's got four Pro Bowls, three-time All-Pros. So he's got one more Pro Bowl and the same number of All-Pros. He was All-Pro 86, 87, and 81. Um. Clark
2: Pro Football Reference says Gary Clark was all-pro first team all-pro one year.
1: Um I've got In 87. Uh maybe maybe first team. I've got a three-time all-pro designation here. So I don't I, I don't know if that's um maybe he was a hold on for second a second. team all-pro. Uh no on Pro Football Reference, I've got four uh I've got three Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it, it, you got 87. As the one year that he was an All Pro, which uh, year, that's first that, that that's first team All Pro, and Drew Pearson was three times a first team All Pro, so Clark must have been a second team All Pro three times, or, th- or tw- twice. Anyway, bottom line is I don't, and I can't find his USFL numbers. I don't know why I can't find them, but he was pretty productive in the USFL um, as well. Anyway, I, I don't know. To me, it's like. Look, should he be in? I think he should. Does he deserve more consideration than he's gotten over the years? Absolutely. Like you you can't you can't debate now that you've put Drew Pearson into the Hall of Fame. That Gary Clark shouldn't be in consideration for the Hall of Fame. Gary Clark, those that understood what he was about, Cooley, and he's before you know your, your time, Gary Clark was that guy, it, it, more so Clark than even Monk was the guy you had to game plan for. You had to try to take out, because he was going to beat you deep. He was going to beat you over the middle. He was going to beat you yards after catch. You know, Monk really was, in many ways, the ultimate in possession receiver. You know, um Gary Clark was in Sanders was Ricky Sanders was definitely a deep
2: threat. They were the move guys.
1: Yeah, they were on the move.
2: Yeah. Ricky was the H and Yeah. Gary was the Z and they were the guys that moved a lot more and Yep. Art was the X.
1: Art moved a lot too.
2: Joe moved everybody. Joe moved everybody. But yeah. yeah. That's wild. All I didn't right. know Pearson's career was quite I mean, you look at his playoff career and you also say that we termed Hail Mary after that guy who's a part of it, who's had that career. It makes him pretty memorable. Yeah, he did push who's it more off, memorable. Um, Take stats aside, Pearson's more memorable. Yeah, but that's
1: because that's he played the for the, that's because he played for the Cowboys.
2: I understand that, but that's the premise of the Hall of Fame.
1: No, no it isn't
2: to some extent yeah no who would you remember more
1: no it isn't it's it, some, it has, there, there's nothing in the description about who you it, would remember it, I more i know
2: there's nothing in the description it's a, there's
1: stuff in there about contribution to the game yeah. but, but drew pearson played for america's team when they were you know when they became america's team in the 1970s and the cowboys were you know they they were rock stars always And Washington's, you know, so Drew Pearson won the Super Bowl and he was on the team that won it against Denver, and that's it. He won, I I think he won one Super Bowl. Clark was on two Super Bowl winning teams. And by the way, on both of the teams that he won the Super Bowl on, he was part of a wide receiver you know, group, the Posse, that was a big significant reason as to why they won the 87 Super Bowl and the 91 Super Bowl. They he, he was on the team he, – he, now, he lost to the Steelers twice. He was on the t- team that lost to the Steelers twice. By the way, in the Super Bowl that they won against Denver, one reception, 13 yards. One reception, 13 yards. So, I, I, look, as a young fan and then as a teenage fan at, at the end of his career, I do remember Drew Pearson being really good. I mean, you know, Drew Pearson – Cowboys, Tony Dorsett, you know, Tony Hill, Billy Joe Dupree, you know, Robert Newhouse. I mean, we knew all of them. And Golden Richards, uh, you know, all all of the Cowboys. You know, if you were a Washington football fan and if you were a Dallas football fan, you almost knew your the other team's roster as much as you knew your own team's roster. That's how intense everything was. That's how big everything was. Um, I mean, I can pretty much name almost every single Dallas kicker. You know, Efren Herrera, Raphael Septien, um, like all these guys over the years that you just were, you know, you just knew um, you had to worry about. And Drew Pearson was—he was also such a class act. You know, he went to the same high school that Joe Theismann went to. Um, they were—they were—I think they were high school teammates. Or maybe, yeah, I think there were high school teammates, Drew Pearson and Joe Theismann. But anyway, uh, we could do this forever, and I don't want to want to get to the Super Bowl. But I just saw that on, Saturday, on Sunday morning, and I'm like, oh God, let me just look up Gary Cole. I've done, I know I've done this before. Uh, look at this. It just... Clark's numbers dwarf Pearson's and Clark was really by anybody's you know uh, recollection of Gary Clark any of his contemporaries would tell you some of them would tell you man Art Monk was really good but Gary Clark was the real threat I mean and he was in those years in Washington and he was a big game performer which by the way B. Mitch was You know, one of the things about Brian that I think never gets, first of all, I think he deserves more consideration for the Hall of Fame, considering that he is second all time in all purpose yardage. But Brian had his biggest moments in the biggest games of his career. I mean, every single playoff game that, you know, uh, during his career in Washington, which came after the Doug Williams Super Bowl. I mean, you could look at these playoff games. He had a kickoff return for a touchdown against Tampa Bay in a playoff game and a divisional round game. He had fake punts in games. He had a big rushing yardage and catch yardage game against the 49ers in a playoff game. He really was productive in some of in, – in I think Gibbs just knew for whatever reason B. Mitch was not going to back down from the occasion, uh-huh. you know, and and in a lot of, I remember one of the last playoff games, what well was the last game Gibbs coached uh, and won was in the 92 January playoffs against Minnesota. They were in the Metrodome and they beat the Vikings 24-7 and the Vikings were favored. Washington was the defending champ um, in, in that game and Brian Mitchell had over 100 yards rushing, had a fake punt. I think he threw a pass in the game. Um, then the next time they made the playoffs, when Norv Turner was the coach, they played Tampa Bay in Tampa in the divisional round. He takes a kickoff back to start the second half 100 yards, and they've got, I think, like a 10-0 or 13 nothing lead. You know, and in the, when he was in Philly – Think about some of those NFC Championship games that Philly lost. B. Mitch had some massive returns in some of those games. You know, he just was a clutch performer. Now, I understand the hesitance to put in returners into the Hall of Fame and like Billy White Shoes Johnson and Devin Hester. Devin Hester was truly unique. And even though B. Mitch is is second all-time in all-purpose yardage, Devin Hester was a better returner. Yeah, in my, he is in my view but I, I think that the fact that B. Mitch and Gary Clark in particular after the obvious guys like Jacoby haven't gotten as much consideration is, is just not right it's not right especially when you start putting in Cowboys that were borderline Hall of Famers and really numbers wise hard to make the case for and Drew Pearson
2: yeah I don't know what to tell you buddy it know. is the deal
1: Let's get to the Super Bowl talk.
2: We do this every year. I know.
1: Let's do the Super Bowl recap right after
0: this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, Trying to find the end zone and no, how about
2: that? One last indignity. Intercepted by White.
0: That defense, tremendous tonight.
1: Ah, uh, that was at the very end of the game. Devin White's interception in the end zone. Um, capping off uh, a dominant performance. I'm going to give you just my overarching theme, and then I'm going to let you have at it, all right? Um, And then I'll come back with more details. But from my standpoint, Cooley, this was a one-sided domination by Tampa Bay. They were the better team throughout every phase of the game. They were more physical than Kansas City was. They were actually a faster, more athletic team than Kansas City was. They were better coached. Throughout the game, they dominated both lines of scrimmage, which we talked about on Friday. Todd Bowles' defense kicked the living shit out of the Chiefs' offense. This was a beatdown. And while a lot of people, and I think justifiably so, understood that the Chiefs made a lot of mistakes, self-inflicted mistakes that didn't help their cause, and the officiating was too closely called, and the Chiefs got... The bad side of the of the whistle or the flags for much of the night. None of that matters because the Buccaneers were superior across the board. And I was, you know, how much I've loved Todd, Todd Bowles over the year years. I really thought that somebody defensively should have shared the MVP award with Brady, I, I, and if you were going to pick somebody, it was probably Devin White because he led the team in tackles and he had the interception, but you could have easily made the case for Barrett or JPP or Sue. or I mean, there was there's so many great defa- – I mean, the, it's, it's most valuable players, so Todd Bowles couldn't get half of the award. Um, <laughs> but I just thought that this was an impressive performance by Tampa, um, something that we talked about and we thought was possible, um, on Friday. And, um, even though it was a boring game because I had Tampa, I had the under, I had the first half Buccaneers. I had the first half under, I needed a big, uh, smell test weekend. I got it, ended up positive for the year. What a comeback through December and January to finish two games above 500 for the season. Um, but I I was thoroughly impressed with the performance by the Buccaneers, not to mention that they carved up Kansas City after the first two drives of the game.
2: They were awesome. They were better, most importantly, I think, Kev, on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Yep. They just they owned it up front. And it hurt Kansas City to have both their tackles out of the game. It hurt them big time. Yep. Because... They can exploit defenses quick, but you can't exploit defenses quick all day. And they needed some of those pass plays to develop down the field. And they didn't get that opportunity to develop some of those pass plays. And so all of a sudden, they were handcuffed to three seconds and the ball essentially had to be out or Mahomes was going to have to make some playoff script. He actually made a couple incredible throws off script that weren't caught you know the,
1: incredible
2: incredible yeah you're like wait a minute did that just hit the dude in the face man did he
1: just sling that sidearm falling down after Perfect. running around for a mile and a half and, and it should have been caught it's amazing hold, hold,
2: hold on one second yeah. it's a it, that ball went exactly where he wanted it to go it really was like a shortstop making a diving sliding play on a hard hit grounder turning and just winging it off his side. And it hits the first baseman, like dead in the glove. It it really was, it it was incredible. Some of the throws he made and I've, I've read stuff that said this is his his worst game of all time. I mean, he had some drops that would have made it an incredible game. I don't, I still don't think they had a chance to beat Tampa. Um, Look, I, I, I mean, some of the stuff—the the drive that I thought killed them, truly killed them, was after they, after Kansas City got a stop on fourth down.
1: Yeah, the Kelsey drop.
2: Well, b- before that, they stopped Ronald Jones short. I know why they didn't run Fournette there. I don't know why Jones didn't go over the top. I don't know, but they get a critical stop on a fourth down, and then Kelsey has a third and eight drop. Yeah. I mean, anybody that plays Kansas City, you sit there and say, we get a couple drops in big situations where we get the ball back, and that's how we're going to win games. Right. And he did. He dropped it right there, man. But – oh, and the, then the other thing is that punter Townsend is about to win Bedwetter of the Ward <laughs> a week. He drops the punt, that yeah. picks it up, gets it off. There's a penalty. And then he shanks the next punt.
1: He soiled like, himself.
2: He – It was the moment was a little bit too big for him, so he ends up with a 29 yard shank.
1: He's got some great hair, though. That
2: turn of events cost him. And then Tyron Matthew ends up getting a pick. There's a hold called on Charverius Ward that was ridiculous, should have never been called.
1: Oh, I thought that was a hold.
2: You could call it, but it wasn't so blatant. You didn't see Jersey tug. It
1: kept him from getting
2: to that spot, though. He was handsy. Yeah. Then you get the lined up in the neutral zone penalty, which I think it was on I – th- I mean, I thought McCoy Hardman was lined up in the neutral zone. Two of them yeah. were. Yeah, and that's just ridiculous.
1: Yeah, on a field goal. Let's, let's, that's not very disciplined.
2: Not very disciplined at all.
1: N- <laughs> next play was the touchdown, right?
2: Then you get it to Gronk. Yeah. Who was not great all year. I know. But great in this game. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was awesome. He almost had the third. He almost came out of that play in the third quarter. This was so weird to me because Kansas City goes down and has the awesome drive to start the third quarter, which was just awesome. Or sorry, I said Kansas. Tampa goes down and scores to start the third quarter. And you're like, this, this is done. This game was over, and anytime you watch Kansas City play all year, there's no deficit too big. This was this was there was they were never in the ball game. I think that we needed this game because there was it was never a ball game. Now, if you're sitting there as Bruce Arians or anyone on the Tampa sideline, this is how you wanted to go. You take control, you hold control, you own the game the entire game. They had to, this had to be so much fun for them, but they did a they did a really good job. Tampa did, and they own the game. It wasn't an exciting game to watch by any means, but it was a stellar defensive performance by Tampa. I, I mean, across the board, like Adama and constant interior pressure now, off the edge, Pierre Paul and Barrett were demonstrative. They, they, Mahomes didn't have time to do anything. I thought they did a great job on Kelsey, although he ends up with 10 catches for 133 yards. And Tony did a good job of pointing out, like, you didn't give him room to cross you up. You didn't give him room to set some things. You just got up and got in his face and pressed him and said, I'm going to take my shot right here. And guys like David and white for sure are so fast that even if he separates a little bit, they can run to tackle him for five or six if they give it up. So they disrupted Kelsey. They were good enough on Hill that without having that real chance to push the ball down the field, they never let him be a number one winner. You always – made Mahomes go away from him and Kansas City didn't have the answers Kev they just didn't have the answers on offense we felt like Tampa's defense would do this I just I I didn't know if they would be able to get the pressure but as soon as you know both tackles aren't going to play in this game that was a bad spot for Casey's offense
1: yeah I mean you know it's funny I think the one I thought it was not a great broadcast, but then again, it was a shitty game that they had to call Nance and Romo. But I thought Romo's point early on where he had this sense that this was not the the same kind of game where Kansas City is all of a sudden going to get you know unleashed and and offensively you know like there's there there is a point in which there's going to be a lead that's going to be too much for them to overcome because he got the sense and I think anybody that was watching this unless you knew what Kansas City's history was. You know, watching them, it really did appear as if it was really uncomfortable for them. And and it was. They were getting absolutely dominated up front. Dominated. And I think that, you know, that's where Romo picked up on the fact of, uh, this is a little bit different. They better be careful because this is going to be over, you know. And it was the pressure. It was the total pressure, even though, as you said, Mahomes would make a couple of amazing plays. I'm looking for the stat I had, but basically it was something like he ran 497 yards in the game <laughs> on 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 all passes and sacks, the most by any quarterback all season long. Um, Which is, you know, just amazing. Here it is. Patrick Mahomes ran a total of 497 yards before his passes and sacks per uh, NFL next gen stats. That's the most pre throw, pre sack yards run by any quarterback in any game this season. Um, So, a couple of things, uh, and I'm going to start with sort of the Chiefs' standpoint. The, the penalties and the drops in the punter really did hurt their chances. But I want to be clear on this. Even if the calls had been half of what they were and the drops had been half of what they were and the punter had only one bad punt instead of two, Tampa still wins this game by double digits, in my view. In my I just thought they were the superior team. But you had a team that committed 11 penalties, 120 yards in penalties. There were two penalties that were declined so that they were flagged for 13. Uh Um, Ten of them in the first half. I did not like the way the game was refereed, even though I loved it that Kansas City was getting called for this because I had a lot riding on Tampa Bay. Um, Kevin Seifert from ESPN put out a tweet that I read late last night that I totally agreed with. He said, look, you could argue that most of these flags against the Chiefs meet the standard for a penalty, but if you watch the NFC Championship game, the Green Bay-Tampa game, remember when there were no penalties called? You probably have whiplash, two very different standards in a matter of weeks. By the way, this particular lead referee, Carl Sheffers, apparently has called in two games against the Chiefs this year, double-digit penalties against the Chiefs. I did not know that going in, and I usually Usually look at sort of the referee uh, trends, um, but the bottom line is like most of the calls, and I'm going to give you the ones that I didn't think were right. Um I didn't think we are you know egregiously wrong. I thought they missed a, a couple on Tampa defensively, especially that the when uh, JPP smacked Mahomes in the head. In the head? Yeah, I, I was very like we see enough football to know that that's typically going to get called and it didn't. But I thought that the um I thought that the PI on on Matt on on Honey Badger in the end zone against Evans before the end of the half was a terrible call. I didn't uh, totally thought it was a terrible call. He First, was eight
2: yards downfield.
1: Yeah, but the, but the ball was uncatchable, and it, it was intended to be uncatchable because he was about to take a sack. They had no timeouts left, and he was just chucking it through the back of the end zone.
2: It's so hard to tell you what's catchable and not catchable when you completely stop the momentum.
1: Look at that one from the end zone view. I've already looked at it from the end zone view on, on the uh, All-22. It's thrown nowhere near... Evans. It is Brady under pressure, understanding he's got no timeouts, and if he doesn't unload this out of the end zone and he takes some sort of sack, they're not going to get a field goal. That was to me the worst. I did not think the call against Breland was a bad call. Breland may have stumbled and not intended to interfere, but his left hand catches Evans on the back left foot and 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 he intended he intended it. It causes him to fall down, and Evans had him beat. So how people think that wasn't a penalty I don't know. The holding on the first punt before the second shank was a takedown. Um the 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 Chris Jones 15-yard penalty was absolutely a 15-yard penalty. The offsides on the field goal you had two players that were offsides on that. That lined up offsides. Sure. So anyway, look, it it was if, you had, if they had let him play, you pr- may have had half the calls, but it wasn't going to make the difference in the game. You mentioned that the punter not only had a 27-yard punt and a 29-yard punt and dropped one of the snaps. Ooh, he did get that punt off. I don't know if you noticed this, but before the Butker second field goal, already old Tommy Townsend was feeling it. I mean, he probably had to go in to the locker room after that second punt and change his, 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 under, his drawers, as Kevin Harlan called them. Um, at fourteen to sit at fourteen to three, they're lining up for a field goal, and you know it's the holders, isn't it? The holders' responsibility to mark off the seven yards as to where you're going to put the ball down. Yeah, he's like two yards behind where it's supposed to be marked, and Butker says to him, "No, no, no, we're up closer." And then Towns is like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you're yeah, right." Poor Townsend, man. I mean, he had a rough, rough game. Bad. Um, by the way. I told you I would tell you about one of my prop bets. So they had uh, three to one odds on each punter punting into the end zone for a touchback. So I took both punters three to one. I won't tell you how much I put on it. Um, and old Tommy Townsend's first punt went right into the end zone, fifty-one right. yards, touchback, three to one winner. And so it didn't even matter if Pinion did the same thing, which he didn't. He didn't have a. All I needed was one of them. To have a touchback to win the wager. Anyway, that was one of the prop bets I had. I did have four... I, I'll bet
2: the odds were that good because I'll, I'll bet you part of it was you didn't think few punts. going to be very many punts in the game. Exactly. No doubt
1: about it. Um And don't even ask me why I decided to do that. I But you know that I thought it was an under game. So I thought there might be more punts than usual. And, you know, I'm hoping that they drive it to midfield and the guy just tries to get inside the five and it just hits and goes in well this one was a 51 yard punt uh, ultimately that would that they didn't decide to return and it took a nice little you know and three to one bounce into the end zone um the drops were really hurtful uh first of all on the first third and 11 before the first field goal of the game tyree kill needs to catch that ball from mahomes Mahomes, pressured as he was all night long, makes a throw, and that hits off Hill's face mask. Sure. Um, the Kelsey drop, I totally agree with you. It's 7-3. to three. They've gotten the fourth down stop. I'll get to that in a moment. Um, you got to catch that. And then Williams had one on one of those crazy fourth down plays in the fourth quarter where Mahomes was running around and slinged it in there, and Williams should have caught it. Um, the end of the half situation for KC – I I don't understand the massive criticism here. You know, it's 14-6 to after a field goal, and Tampa's got one timeout left, and Leonard Fournette on a first down play gets zero yards with 50 seconds to go. Are you really suggesting, those of you that were super critical, and a lot of the analysts were, are you really suggesting that Andy Reid shouldn't call timeout there with he's got three of them left? I mean, seriously, why? Because of what happened at the end of the half against Green Bay? It's a totally different situation. So that was an absolute timeout situation. If he didn't call it, I would have been shocked and I would have been critical of him. And Tampa Bay probably would have taken the 14-6 to lead into the locker room. Hindsight is 50-50, as Steve Spurrier uh, said. But in the moment, Kansas City's thinking, we can get it back, we can get another field goal, then we get the ball to start the second half. They only have one timeout, so they're not really trying to score. And then they threw the bubble the Godwin that got eight yards. Yeah. And then it's third and two. And if you want to be critical, the ball's at the 37-yard line. You can criticize them calling the timeout before the third and two. Now the funny thing is, Tampa was going quick anyway. After the eight-yard play, they decided at the 37-yard line, we're going for it. So even if Kansas City didn't call the timeout, Tampa's lining it up to try to be aggressive. They got the first down to Gronk, and then, you know, it started from there and ended poorly um, for Kansas City, and it was 21-6 at the half. I did not have uh, an issue at all with Andy Reid trying to be aggressive there. I just didn't. Um, I thought Kansas City, and I th- I made this note during the game, and then somebody sent me this tweet during the show this morning. I really thought that there was so much pressure on Mahomes from that front four. They did not blitz a lot. I just thought, where is like more protection from Andy Reid? Like how are
2: they you... they don't do that? They haven't done it all year.
1: Okay, well they he's never but, but been pressured answer, like this.
2: I, I understand that. And with ha- with And the offensive starting. line issues, Cooley. With the offensive line issues, gosh. First and second down situations, Kansas City's been such a good screen team. That's a – is a play caller for them. You have to answer that and say they're going to go four and drop seven big time and they're going to drop them. You got to screen them. You have to be able to screen them. You have to be able to chip those guys. You have to be able to change their spot. You need to roll Mahomes and get him outside of the pocket. You need some more run action stuff. They didn't answer it. They just put it all on Mahomes.
1: They put it all on Mahomes, and it just was too much pressure. And I kept thinking, I'm like, these Four guys, like they're rushing four. Now there was that before the uh, the third down before the first field goal. There, there were two corner blitzes on that play. I don't know if I've ever seen two corners coming.
2: Double corner cat? <laughs> Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, but I any, just any defensive guy or anyone would call it that.
1: But yeah. I, I I made I made the note during the game. It's like they gotta keep something. They gotta go max protect here or something. By the way, don't do that. They're they five man protection team. They did, and, and so the, the the tweet that somebody sent me or the note that somebody sent me, Casey used five man protection on ninety two percent of Mahomes' dropbacks.
2: That's Four, what they do,
1: forty eight to fifty two with those backup left tackles, um, uh, backup tackles, left and right tackle. Um, the the other thing too, I, I they did try some screens. It seemed like Tampa had everything sniffed out. Screens they had that option pitch sniffed out. They. That was- they just, Dead. they just had everything. Everything sniffed out. A couple of other things about the Chiefs. Um, obviously, Tampa's defense had them completely out of sync, and the pressure was relentless. I thought the first drive of the the, the third quarter when they got Edwards-Alaire going, because I was expecting. By the way, at twenty-one-six. Oh, at the end of the first half, Cooley, when they did score that touchdown and Matthew got the 15-yard penalty for you know taunting Brady, which, by the way, I thought it sh- should have been offsetting penalties. I thought Brady deserved one too. Um, you know, the, the over-under in the first half was 27-and-a-half. So it was twenty to six at that point, and what worried me is that with the fifteen yard penalty and only six seconds left, why they would take it on the kickoff? It didn't matter. They might move the ball halfway the distance and go for two, which yeah. could have which could have sent it over, but they didn't. Um, but I thought the first drive of the third quarter, Edwards Lair first play, twenty six yard run. By the way, Devin White's speed on that to track him down oh and catch my him. Gosh. Oh my god! Um, and then Edwards Lair had a ten yard run, and then. On second and seven at the Tampa 34, two throws, heavy pressure, incompletes, 52-yard field goal. I actually thought at that point Kansas City's best shot was to take Edward Zelaire, who's really a good back and healthy, and try to grind out some long drives running the football and get yourself back into the game that way. And they didn't really do it. You know, ultimately, you know, even if you take Mahomes' yards, Edwards was 9 for 64. You know,
2: he I, had the big one.
1: He had the big but one. The, he had the 26-yarder.
2: He, he had some good runs. Even early in the game, he had a couple good runs. Had a good run, strong run for a first down early in the game.
1: Yeah. Um. Anyway, I thought that that, you know, from Kansas City's standpoint, um, from Tampa's standpoint, look, defensively, they were just awesome. I mean – They had Kansas City in a situation that, as football fans, having watched the Chiefs for the last three years, it's like it was really totally unique. But Todd Bowles, I I really had this sense that second time playing them, the two tackles out were going to be a problem, and they are athletic and fast, man. Oh, my God. Their front seven is so quick and then Tampa's offense after those like I was sitting there dying that they didn't move the ball on those first two drives thinking oh shit uh-huh. you you actually forced Kansas City to punt on their first drive and you haven't taken advantage of either of these first two drives but after the first two drives six drives 42 plays 338 yards four touchdowns a field goal, and then the goal line stand that they got stopped at the KC one, which I would just mention. I thought Ronald. First of all, I thought they got a little too, too a little too cute with the tackle eligible, and then putting Vita Vea back there. And Ronald Jones should not have been the back in the game. It should have been Playoff Lenny. And Ronald Jones cooling on the fourth and goal. You got to stick you got to you got that's where you expose the ball on fourth and goal.
2: You got to score.
1: And I thought there was enough room for him and enough push for him to extend that over the goal line. He kept it tucked in his right hand almost back behind him. I hear you. You got to get that in. I can't believe he didn't get that in. Um, it looked
0: like
2: with when they went to review it without me really watching it close, I'm thinking he scored.
1: Because you're right, he had the push. He had the push. He just didn't extend the ball, um, which was stupid because we talked about in the Cleveland playoff game against Kansas City when they threw the ball down to whoever it was now, um, at, uh, Richard Higgins, I think it was, at the one-yard line to set up first and goal at the one, and he tried to extend the ball out, and he exposed it, and he got hit illegally, but it doesn't matter. He fumbled it out of the end zone. You, that, you don't do it then. You do it on fourth and goal on fourth and goal that's when you do it and they didn't do it. Um couple of other uh observations here that I just wanted to mention. Um, first of all, Tampa ran the football, you know, they had their way with Kansas City defensively. You know, playoff Lenny ended up with, you know, 89 yards rushing, 46 passing. They combined he and uh, Jones did for 28 carries 150 yards on the ground. You know, so they were able to run the football. Um, Gronk had the best game he's had in a while so I played Gronk Cooley 100 to 1 to win the MVP
2: oh really
1: uh-huh yep 50 bucks would have paid five thousand dollars <laughs> and so I I played
2: Fournette I played Do you think Gronk was the MVP
1: no, I think I think Brady was. I actually thought it should have been Brady and a defensive player if they really were going to give to try to give Todd Bowles some credit, which he deserved the most credit for, for for the win in my in my view. But you can't give it to a coach. I before the game I had Gronkowski, I had Fournette, uh, I also had um, uh, Godwin because I thought as a slot receiver he might have a big day, and then defensively I had White. David JPP. So I just took a bunch Look of
2: JPP over Barrett, huh?
1: Oh, I had Barrett too. So I played okay. all of these guys thinking that if Brady, you know, has a couple of the picks like he did, but it's the game that I think I'm going to see, which is going to be a great defensive effort from Tampa Bay and maybe a good running game from Tampa Bay. I'll take the, the all these guys were getting super long odds, but the fact that Gronk had two touchdowns. I was like, you, "Holy early. shit!" I might early. Early, I'm like, I wanted one more for Gronk, and maybe three or four more catches, and we may we may have gotten him there. But if he
2: that tackle in the third quarter down I, the middle of oh, the play action, yeah, that he Brady,
1: got just tripped Brady up. Brady
2: fooled Matthew. Yeah, I, maybe. Right, but even at that, are they going to take it from Tom?
1: No, because he was twenty-one of twenty-nine for two hundred and one yards, three touchdowns, and made every right decision. Didn't have one. You know what? The, uh, there was one bad throw, one bad throw of his. I thought it was the first possession of the game on the third and seven when he threw it too far outside of Godwin, and Godwin had you know tried to reach out with one hand and make the catch. He was open to move the chains, and Brady missed him. Right. I don't know that he had another bad throw in the game. Did he? Maybe
2: not much. He took advantage. He, he had a lot of throws underneath. He made the throws he had to make, buddy.
1: Um, couple of other quick things. Number one, I mean, when are you ever going to see Mahomes one first, first seven for two yards, and in the first quarter, two for eight, nine yards? That's crazy. Almost now, never. Number two, the first possession of the game for Kansas City, and you saw the pressure immediately right from the get-go on Mahomes, and it was Barrett, you know, pressuring him. I need to go back and look at that, and I haven't. That was grounding. Uh, it was, to me, it was like the third and eight, and Mahomes ended up dumping it. And I could have sworn, I think that was, maybe it wasn't the third and eight. Maybe it was a second and eight play. But it really looked like grounding. He was definitely in the pocket. Um, you know the play on the punt that was touched but left on the ground and picked up by the Kansas City returner and run out back. Of I was I was actually you know wondering why they had ruled it dead. They came out and it was out of right. bounds for those that missed it exactly. Um, the uh, at the end of the game, Cooley. You know Tampa. It was interesting. Tampa had um, uh, you know they had a comfortable lead, but you know even with eight minutes to go. By the way, Romo was struggling with math all day long on the broadcast.
2: Was he joking with that, or I was think he, he was, serious
1: No, I think that. he was serious.
2: I, I struggle with nines. It's <laughs> like, um, okay.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, they start running the football, and they're running the football well. And they've got a third and one with eight minutes to go at the Kansas City 46. And they, you know, he tries to throw it to Gronkowski, and it's incomplete. I don't know why they threw there. there. Um, Then on their final offensive drive before the three knees, this was very interesting to me. I don't know if you picked up on it. So it's 31-9. The game's over, basically. Mm -hmm. Kansas City takes their final timeout with 3.46 to go before a third down and four. Tampa's deep in their own territory after, you know, the Winfield Jr. penalty for taunting uh, Tariq Hill. And the call is in, and you see Brady go, no, no. Yeah. And then they come back with another play. So the play that was coming in was going to be the smart play, which was a run. If you don't get it, 40-something seconds. They don't get the ball back until under three. got to score three times. It's over. And instead, Brady wants to throw for the first down, and he takes the deep shot to Antonio Brown. And it's incomplete, and they punted it. I just thought it was interesting to watch Brady absolutely get his way which, you know, has been part of why they've been on this run because, you know, credit to Bruce Arians who said, "You know what? This is Tom's offense, Tom's team, and he's going to call the, you know, he's going to call it." But the smart thing at that point is just run the football, get the game over with. You don't need to take a shot for Antonio Brown and that's in that spot. They wanted
2: to embarrass Kansas City. I guess. Um, Arians had told them we want to score forty.
1: Yeah, and then I thought the uh, on Kansas City's last drive, I don't know CBS. I thought did a bad job with a lot of the replays, like the fourth and goal at the one. Did we ever see every angle that you typically see?
2: We didn't, but I I think you saw one angle and said he didn't get in.
1: I agree with you. I do agree with you on that. But usually you get obsessive, you know, obsessive. Uh, numbers of, of replays. Well, I know this is late in the game and the game's over, but there's a ball that goes out to Edward Alaire that flips up into the air and is picked off by Levante David. And I went back and watched that play. I'm pretty sure the ball never hit the ground. It got, it was, it, uh, Edward Alaire's hand was underneath it and they called it an incomplete pass. And you know, Arians didn't challenge it. You know, White, you know, it's thirty-one to nine, whatever at that point. Mm-hmm. But CBS never showed your replay either. I just thought that CBS got caught into. First of all, this is amazing. The Kansas City's getting their ass kicked. Yeah. And B, this is a terrible, boring game. We're not having the drama that we thought we were going to have. And I didn't think it was a great broadcast. I thought the most astute observation, and sometimes these are the hardest to make, but I think Romo's in, you know instincts early on that Kansas City was in trouble, um, you know, proved to be spot on, accurate. And when I was watching the game, I felt the same way. Even though in the back of my mind, like everybody's thinking, oh yeah, but this is Mahomes. This is you know you know Hill and. And Kelsey and the Chiefs, but it was different. He was first of all, he did not look a hundred percent healthy. He's having surgery on that toe at the you know at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And the pressure was just every single play, every play,
2: and I think that's what Tony understood was he is in trouble because he's never going to have time to get the ball out, yeah.
1: 29 I'm also quarterback pressure. that pressures. part
2: of those instincts were, were probably a product of sitting down and talking to BNME, Mahomes, Reed, all those guys before the game, and, and them saying, We're going to have some problems here blocking <laughs> this up. But gosh, it, I mean, make the adjustment.
1: Yeah. Do you think Andy Reid, with what happened with his son and this five-year-old? God, pray for this five-year-old. Do you think he may have just been a little bit out of it? Yes. I do too. I, I, I
2: hate seeing that, and I'm with you. I hate seeing that before a huge game.
1: Uh, I mean, you hate seeing it. Yeah, in general, it's such a no. In tragedy, general, but, but for, for yeah, I,
2: no, I yeah, obviously, but, it just changes how you.
1: I don't know. I mean, it it certainly couldn't have made i mean he he addressed it after the game you know and and you know specifically said mention the 5-year-old girl who's in critical condition for those of you that don't know the story britt reed andy reed's son who's also the chiefs outside outside linebacker's coach was involved in a three-car crash thursday night in kansas city he was not a part of the team yesterday did not travel um, he acknowledged to the police that he was driving the vehicle that ended up colliding with two other uh, cars that left this five-year-old in, in critical, uh, critical condition. Um, his eyes were bloodshot. There was a moderate odor of alcohol beverage, according to the police, or according to the reports. Um, he's, he, he said um, Reed told the officer that he had two to three drinks and that he was also taking um, a prescription for Adderall. Um, and this is just such a tragedy, uh, God please the five-year-old girl, you know, a complete recovery, but this had to be, you know, part of Andy Reed It's a tough couple of days for Andy Reed, man. Um, there was one other thing about this game. Um,
2: you like the halftime show.
1: So I was just half paying attention to it. So I'm not going to I I I'm not going to be the worst the, the best critique of the weekend. Didn't the, did the weekend perform at an NBA All-Star game recently that I thought he was excellent at? Um but uh, d- did you or not?
2: I I didn't like it at all. Okay. I'd heard that he put an, an extra 7 million dollars of his own money into putting the halftime show together. So he had the crazy stage and all the stuff and I just I didn't think it sounded good. It's almost like his mic needed turned up or something needed to be changed on it.
1: I did think that the combination of Eric Church, the country star, and Jasmine Sullivan, I thought that actually sounded really good.
2: Oh, I love Eric Church.
1: Yeah. I I like
2: The Weeknd, too. I just didn't think it sounded like The Weeknd.
1: And then her, you know, sang um, uh, before the game uh, as well. That was that was spectacular. I mean, I'm not I, I'm not super familiar with her. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, I'm not either. And, and I was not super familiar with Jasmine Sullivan either. Uh, I know of Eric Church, even though I'm not a country guy. But I thought that combination actually sounded beautiful. Even though um, there were a couple of moments that seemed that they were just a tad off, but I, I thought it was actually a, um, a nice combination. Anyway, whatever. Um, the, the, oh this is what I was going to end with. Uh 29 quarterback pressures on Patrick Mahomes, the most in Super Bowl history. I mean, you think about well part you know, part of that is some of the greatest defensive teams when you go back like the Steelers and the Raiders and some of those teams, even some of the Cowboy teams, teams just didn't throw it enough to have that many pressures um but 29 of the 52 dropbacks he was pressured on that for him first time in his career he's lost a game by double digits and That's the wild. the 9 points the fewest by far in his career um you know i hope nobody's going to come out of this and think like uh yeah pat mahomes yeah great defense pass rush yeah, he he, st- he still almost pulled out two or three rabbits out of the hat, even with that pressure.
2: Yeah, look, no one should come out of this game thinking that there's a certain formula that Tampa Bay just put together. They just executed incredibly well, in part because they're exceptional on defense.
1: Exceptional.
2: On defense. Let, let, let's not play for a second that now there's an answer to – Mahomes and Tariq Hill and Kelsey and <laughs> Right. That, that did that didn't just provide an answer. Everybody tries to do what <laughs> what Tampa did.
1: It it was really um I don't know, it was really I'm I'm Todd Bowles is one of those um, people that's been in the league, obviously, for a long, long time and had the head coaching opportunity in, in New York. And you and I were doing the show for some of it, and I was always like, I think he's a good coach, Cooley. I think he's such a good defensive coach. They suck on offense. They don't have a quarterback. You know, um, I, I would ha- – and I, I've said this many times with you or by myself. I would have hired Todd Bowles in a heartbeat to be the head coach here. If, if it meant that I had his defensive abilities. Like, his teams, just when you think about his defensive teams in the past, they've always seemed to be ahead, one step ahead of the competition. Some of those Jet teams were really good defensively.
2: They I, were really good on defense. In I was, Arizona, when he was, oh my was God. outstanding, and he, he's innovative.
1: Innovative. Um, You know, part of it, too, is that he's a former skin and won the Super Bowl here and you know, as part of that, some of those real memorable teams. I I really want him to get another shot. I want him to get a shot where he's got a really good offensive coordinator and maybe a quarterback that would help. Because obviously on a team with Tom Brady at quarterback and with a bunch of weapons, um, and, and you know, let's face it, they've got talent too. I mean, they have real talent on defense in that front seven. And in the secondary, Winfield Jr. is outstanding. He's so good. <clears throat> Uh, but I, I was happy for him. Uh, I think, you know, at one point, it was so funny, a friend of mine, Kenny, he texted me, he goes, given how great your boy Bowles is doing, don't you think they should have one close-up of him? They've held Patrick Mahomes to six points. You you know, they was like, him a few times. And then they, it was like two minutes later they showed him. But for a while they hadn't sh- shown him at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh there aren't any head coaching g- look, Arians said he's coming back. Obviously he's going to come back with and Brady said he's coming back. He's coming back with that staff. Um
2: it could be Bulls in Tampa in 2 years. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Uh you know, give Byron Leftwich a lot of credit too. I mean, you know, Arians apparently is de- is delegated a shitload of responsibility. So Sure. Leftwich and Brady, you know, combined to, to figure it out. They they beat teams in in a number of different ways. You know, they ran the football. They were, they they seemed to to figure it out. They th- threw the ball deep a lot. You know, in different games. Um, incredible run from them. Uh, you know, at the end of the year and into the postseason, winning their final eight games. And it's funny, their their final four games of the regular season. And I said this before, they played Washington. Were they were wins, but they weren't impressive wins. Like, they beat some terrible defensive teams. They were behind in multiple games. And that's why coming into the game against Washington, you know, obviously Washington had the quarterback problem, which was, you know, a big issue. Um, we didn't know what to expect from Taylor Heineke. Um, and I'll use that as a segue just to get into this. Look, if you if you really are, like, super optimistic because Tampa won the Super Bowl and Washington played them really well and Taylor Heineke had a great game, um, and somehow this is like a big win for you. I, I, you know, I understand. I'm optimistic you know, about the future more than I've been in a long time. But it's not because they were close against Tampa. It's because they've got some talent, they've got some coaching, you know, they've got some young talent, you know, they have an opportunity to add a couple of pieces and improve their team. But if Todd Bowles knew anything about Taylor Heineke and had the chance to game plan for him, and if Devin White had played in that game, which he didn't, the results offensively would have been different. And the more startling takeaway from that playoff game against Tampa is not what Taylor Heineke did, and he was great, and and it it makes me interested in what maybe he could be. But the biggest takeaway is that they got absolutely embarrassed defensively. They gave up 507 yards to Tampa Bay in that playoff game and were embarrassed so that's the that that's part of the reason you're optimistic moving forward and you realize after watching a real elite defense like Tampa's in the Super Bowl you realize Hey, we got a long way to go, but you know it's progress. This year was significant progress, but it was seven and nine. Like nobody was convincing me. Oh, we lost to the Giants. You were on two of these teams. Team that lost to Green Bay, uh, beat Green Bay. Green Bay went on to win the Super Bowl. You guys beat the Giants. You were the last team to beat the Giants before they made their run to a Super Bowl. Like I was always like, okay, who cares? We were we, we were six and ten. Or seven and nine or whatever it well, the
2: was. other thing is if you think of matchup stuff, I mean, Tampa Bay really matched up well for Kansas City, and when I think of Washington, especially this year, they could have lost any game yeah they, they could they were a team that had the ability to stay in games, especially when defense played really well.
1: well, they couldn't have lost that With, Thanksgiving Day game
2: no, but in general other
1: either game this year yeah
2: they could have lost to anybody right i would not have been surprised if they would have lost any one of the games they won besides the dallas game right And and as the season went on and dalton came back they probably could have lost to dallas too
1: yeah i mean dallas started to play better um towards the end of the year um But, you know, this is not to say that I don't want the team to feel encouraged that Tampa went on to win the Super Bowl and that they played them really tough. I want them to take something away from that. But we as fans, it's like um, I I didn't even think – honestly, Cooley, I didn't even think about – I didn't think about it either. Uh, At all. And I I was deluged with tweets. Hey, what do you think of Heineke now? Nobody played better. It was Rodgers, Breeze, and and Mahomes. They couldn't do anything against the Buccaneers, and Heineke lit them up. Yeah, I, I don't know. Put Devin White in the game and give Todd Bowles a chance to prepare for a quarterback he knows something about. I have a feeling it would have been a different result but <laughs> no doubt about it but 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 you know I just didn't think about like I, 7 and 9 the best part of this year was you saw massive improvement defensively you saw Terry McLaurin become a legitimate number 1 receiver Antonio Gibson lots of hope for him they were much better coached than they've been in a long long time and there's a culture change going on that I'm totally in favor of and I'm I'm glass half full here right now but it's not because they played the Buccaneers tough. Because if you also want to go that route after, you know, you take out the the Devin White and the Todd Bowles not being able to prepare for a quarterback, they had multiple chances towards the end of that game down one score and didn't get it done. They punted when they were down at, you know, 18-16 or 21-16. Um, down 28-23, they didn't get it done. 31-23, they didn't get it done. So I, I you know... It's. It was a great season in that you took a big step forward, and I'm excited about that. I'm also um, very interested in the quarterback news that came out over the weekend. So we will get to that right after I tell you about mybookie.ag. They continue, even though football season is over, to give you a 50% uh, credit on deposits up to $1,000 if you use my promo code, Kevin DC. Now, I'm a big college uh, basketball guy. I, I wager on college basketball, not the NBA in the regular season, not hockey in the regular season. I am not that guy at all. Um, God bless the people that bet you know, the NHL in January and February. Have at it. Uh, that's not me. Um, but there is a game tonight, Cooley. Uh, so Maryland lost to Penn State on Friday night, and they are playing, what is Ohio State ranked here? Because the rankings are probably out. They're probably in the top five now. They're ranked fourth in the country. So they play Ohio State tonight, um, and Ohio State is a mere three-point favorite uh, at mybookie.ag. Um, the, the world will be on Ohio State. I actually really do like Maryland tonight, plus the short number. They played very well at times this year against their strongest opponents. Um, So anyway, mybookie, mybookie.ag, take advantage of a really good deal. Uh, They will match your deposit halfway up to $1,000. Give them $500, they'll give you $250 extra to play with. And even if you have a place already... Um, And there are a lot of good ones, like BetMGM's phenomenal, and other places are great. But the bottom line is you should have more than one. If you're doing this, have more than one, take the offers that they are giving you free money with, and then, you know, comparison shop, which is really what you should be doing anyway to get the best possible lines. I played last week, Cooley, Tampa on uh, on, on my bookie at plus three even money. And it went to plus three minus 115 before kickoff. So that's, you know, if you're doing this and you're doing this seriously, which you should, you know, tread lightly, you don't want to be on Tampa at plus three minus 115 if you can be on them plus three even money. For those of you that don't understand, let's say you bet $100 on Tampa at even money. That means you lose 100 if you lose. At minus 115, it means you lose 115. Now if you're doing bigger wagers like 500 bucks, <laughs> mm. all right? And you're betting 500 bucks on a game even money, you only lose 500. At minus 150, take minus 120, you lose 600. Minus 115, 575 starts to add up. My bookie my mybookie.ag use my promo code KevinDC. The last thing uh, we were going to get to, um, and by the way, congratulations to Alex Smith, Comeback Player of the Year. Congratulations to Chase Young, Defensive Rookie of the Year. There was one person, uh, Cooley out of the 50, that voted for Ben Roethlisberger um, for Comeback Player of the Year instead of Alex Smith. (laughs) Crazy. But anyway, um, there was a report uh, yesterday before the Super Bowl, Mike Garofalo, Tom Pelissero, and Ian Rappaport on NFL.com. And it was about the quarterback carousel. By the way, you you and I – Um, people from the Friday podcast said, you guys didn't do your fantasy or reality on Carson Wentz or Marcus Mariota. Carson Wentz would be fantasy to me because they're not going to trade him in the division, and he may not be a good culture fit for Ron Rivera. Marcus Mariota is under contract. You'd have to trade for him. Um, I would say that's doable, but not as a starter. I think he would come in and compete with others that they have here. What would you say about both of those? We did not address those two quarterbacks on our Friday podcast.
2: I don't know how much of a fantasy Carson Wentz is. I know that you're saying they don't want to trade him in the division, but who's going to give them the most value for Carson Wentz, I think is is another huge question. Indy. Yeah, Indy would probably have – Chicago. Chicago. But if Washington's going to give you more value?
1: Do you think, you know, I think that they're going to be really careful with people who, you know, recent reports are they're not very easy to coach.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that.
1: What about Mariota?
2: (sighs) Not trading for Mariota. Yeah. He's got one year left on his deal. You don't know exactly what they're doing with him. I don't know. I mean, would you give up a second for Mariota? no would they trade it? they're not going to trade him for less than a second uh
1: I don't think they're going to trade him at all I think I Oakland's going to play him I think Vegas is going to end up with Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota next year as their quarterbacks I really do
2: uh, I wouldn't be surprised and then in that you have a a real quarterback competition
1: You know, I'm going to get to this story. I'll read it right now, actually. Who will be Washington's QB? Well, the three um, authors of this story, Garofalo, Pellicero, and Rappaport, write. When Alex Smith decided he needed a few weeks to figure out his future, the Washington football team knew it could not wait. While the team is open to a return for Smith, it also made calls on Stafford and Goff. And Goff before they were traded. Expect them to weigh all QB options, including if Sam Darnold is made available. While plenty of teams have been calling the Jets on Darnold, there's been no indication they would trade him yet. First of all, I did not know anything about Washington's interest in golf. We do know that they offered a first, a third, and maybe even a player. Now, Russell was on with me this morning. He had a source telling that Washington offered Detroit two first-rounders. And they turned it down. Now, ultimately, they got two first-rounders, and they got Goff from L.A., and a third. Um, but I, I'm a little bit surprised if this report is true that they made calls and they had some interest in Jared Goff. Are you?
2: No, I'm not at all. Why? I think that they have – I think it shows you that they're going to have an interest in any starting quarterback that's better than what they have, hmm. which is the right thing that they should do.
1: I agree with that. I just not, I'm just not a Goff fan.
2: I'm also not a Goff fan. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that 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 question mark in general. But it's whether or not they had a real interest in Goff. I think you're figuring out what it's going to take and what you're going to have to give up for anybody. Like how much is Goff how much are we going to have to trade to get Goff is another real question. Yeah. And maybe you just, your interest is to see what it, it's going to take to get a guy like Goff.
1: To comp- to, so you can sort of compare it to when you seriously go after Darnold, as an example. Exactly. So the one thing that the Stafford offer and that this report just tells me, it reinforces to me, is that they're trying to do better than what they have. You know, Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen, maybe Alex Smith, as they should. A push for Darnold would not surprise me at all. To me, and I mentioned this to you on Friday, I think there are some similarities between Darnold and Stafford. You know, Darnold's been hurt more, has missed more games. He's played on a much worse team offensively. I also went back over the weekend, Cooley, if you look at Darnold's starts, he's beaten some pretty good – in some of the games against better teams – He's performed really well. Like at the end of this year they went to LA and beat the Rams and he played well. Late in the season as a starter. They beat Cleveland when Cleveland had to have it late in the season. Um I remember last year they beat the Cowboys when the Cowboys were a bit on a bit of a roll and he came back off the he injury list. Back. I'm sorry. It was his first game back. First game back, and he played really well and beat them. I remember them beating Pittsburgh at the end of last year when Pittsburgh had to have it um, in a a playoff hunt. Uh, He's played some games against good teams in the past, and I don't know. I liked Darnold coming out of USC. I like him more than Carr. I've mentioned that. A lot of you seem to, to disagree with me on that. Um I think I would trade 19 overall for Darnold. I don't know if I'd want to give up much more than that. I think we're getting to a point where it's going to be a trade for somebody like Darnold or a trade up in the draft. I'm talking about if they end up with quarterbacks other than the ones on their roster. Um, Or they end up making a move for like a real veteran, somebody like Ryan Fitzpatrick, to come in and start until they figure out a longer-term answer. But let's not forget they do like Kyle Allen. Ron Rivera really likes Kyle Allen. He, you know, basically brought up without any, you know, any prodding that they, he thought the results would have been the same with Kyle Allen as they were with Alex Smith this year. Um, and so you may end up with that as your quarterback. You know, group. It might be Allen and Heineke and Montez. I just still can't see Alex. It's not
2: going to be Montez.
1: Well, I mean, just well, in camp, in, the in team, camp. But
2: When Montez was walking the sideline
1: <laughs>
2: before Heineke yeah. came back in the game in, in Tampa. He
1: looked scared. He looked like he, Townsend, the punter.
2: He looked like he wanted nothing to do with going into that ballgame. Not a single thing. Agreed. I would have wanted, if my guy would have been up, hopping around, ready, here we go, it's my shot, maybe. <laughs> I thought, just that showed me. Yeah, I don't know if I think I... Montez is a good fit here, right? As a, as a practice squad guy, find someone that really wants to go in. Yeah. Who who would want to go in against that front four though, and against Bulls' defense? Some of the blitzes they were bringing against Tiny, <laughs> not yeah. very many people would have wanted that.
1: What was the um, last last thoughts? By the way, I was just reading this one thing that Brady apparently apologized uh, apologized to, to uh, uh, Teron Matthew for losing his composure. Um, to which Matthew said, "I've never really seen that side of him." Um, they, you know, I thought Brady should have been flagged in the same way Matthew was. I thought that that was like a, you know, an equal taunting flag. You know, offsetting. Um, but anyway, um, he apparently texted him and apologized to him. They had several on-field verbal alter- altercations during the game. I think Matthew's really good
2: i think matthew's really good i think brady's a super competitor i had no problem with either of their altercations whatsoever you know the one it looked like matthew started it yeah it doesn't mean brady should retaliate the way he did or whatever but i liked that from tom
1: matthew says he's not gonna
2: take it from anybody yeah i wouldn't if i was tom
1: (laughs) Um, he said that Brady started the verbal spat, and he called the chief safety something that I won't repeat. Um, hmm. I wonder yeah, what I, he called him.
2: I doubt it was anything racial.
1: No, I, I bet it wasn't racial. I might, maybe it was a Justin Thomas situation. Maybe it was a homophobic remark. I, I'm just totally no. speculating. What? No. No, I but but not that. in not in in. in like we've had this conversation before. It's not in the intention of actually calling the guy like that he's gay. It's the competitive, you know, you're, you know, stop acting like a bitch kind of a thing that happens, you know, just so everybody understands this all the time, even in pickup basketball games in gyms over the weekend with, with weekend warriors, which I've been a part of many times. You know, we've all anybody that's ever competed in anything at any level. You know that things are said that if they were taken literally, could get people in trouble in this environment. But I just I'm wondering what Brady said to him. I'd like to find out. It'll come out. Matthew now has a has a uh, you know a selling point for the book that he's going to write when his career is over because he's had an interesting career already.
2: I I really like Matthew. Me too. I really think he's a good player.
1: There were a lot of good players on the field yesterday. Who was the best player on the field yesterday? Just in the game, not overall. In yesterday's game, who was the best player on the field?
2: Barrett? Oh. I, I don't know. I mean, okay, offensively, obviously Tom Brady made every right play, and that's something that he was going to have to do against that defense. That thought Ndamukong was – dominated in that game i thought jpp was outstanding in that game i thought playoff Lenny did a pretty good job running the football i'll tell you that um, and made some catches that were big in this game gronk was huge in this game but i don't know if he was the best player on the field in this game both linebackers for tampa bay are awesome who do you think was the best player on the field?
1: I mean, I think I'm just sitting here thinking. Like, Devin White flashed so many times, but I'd have to go back and actually watch the game to know that he did it consistently. But there were plays in which he was just, whoa, there he is again. Just like in the, in the two playoff games, the, the New Orleans game and the, and the Green Bay game. Uh-huh. Um, he, he ended up with a pick, but that's late. He had two tackles for losses, had a couple of really good plays. He just seemed to be everywhere. Did he lead them in tackling? I think he did. He usually does. Yep, he had 12 total tackles, eight solo tackles to lead him. I thought David was outstanding, per usual. But, man, every single rush with a four-man rush, it looked like JPP was really bearing down, as was Barrett. Um, it, It was just really a spectacular defensive team to watch. It really was. They missed some tackles, too. There were a couple tackles that they missed. But really, really outstanding um, effort and uh, and really an outstanding team. How about the fact that their last three games, um, or I'm sorry, three of the four playoff games, 31 points. 31 against Washington, 31 against the Packers, 31 against the Chiefs, and the Saints game, it was 30. They had 30 against the Saints. Did they miss an extra point in that game? Is that why they had 30, or did they have three field goals? Uh... I
2: should remember that.
1: They had three field goals. Three field
2: goals. That was they beat some good teams. They played good ball down the stretch. It was just it's indicative of what a, a good team does. Is they get good late, yeah. and they were healthy late. I would like to see that game again with Kansas City having both of their tackles.
1: Agreed. It would have made a difference. Would have made a difference because then Bulls probably sends more pressure and is more exposed, because that is what he likes to do, and he didn't do it, because he didn't have to.
2: No, he never did. You were He, he got home with four, but they, I, they knew they were going to get home with four. They knew it. Yeah.
1: All right, you got anything else? I'm good. Me too. Uh, everybody enjoy the day. Tommy will be with me tomorrow.